I'm going to be turning to multiple scriptures this morning, but uh, the Acts passage is kind of a, a focal passage for us. But I want to come back and remind you, and by the way, if you're anxious about a study guide, there isn't one. Uh, so uh, don't fret, uh, just take notes. Um, I shared with you that council was a very high point. Uh, our national uh, meeting in Columbus a couple of weeks ago. And we focused largely on the power and the ministry of the Holy Spirit to enable us to accomplish the work that God has intended for us. And I uh, quoted a phrase that our president has repeatedly uh, stated and referred to throughout uh, his leadership. Uh, and that is that we are a Christ-centered, Acts 1-8 family. And uh, the Christ-centered is our heritage and our history, as well as the Acts 1-8. Uh, we are a, a, a movement, a family, a people that focuses on the Lord Jesus Christ. And in that focus... We proclaim Him as our Savior, our Sanctifier, our Healer, and our coming King. And He is all of those things uh, to us. It is Christ-centered. And I want to remind us this morning of the reason for our missionary passion. What is it that has compelled us for well over a hundred years about 130 years almost, that has compelled us to go to regions of the world that are dangerous, that are difficult uh, to reach, that uh, take us into often pioneer territories and have built upon the list of martyrs who have given their lives in their commitment to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. What drives us to this compassion? Um, A.B. Simpson wrote a song. I've shared it with you before. I'm not going to sing it, but I'm going to quote a word or two from it. Lord, you have given to me a trust, a high and holy convocation. I thought about that word convocation. It's kind of a strange word. Uh, vocation, we know what that means. Uh, it's what you do uh, as your work or your occupation. But uh, we are doing it together with the Lord. You have given us a high and holy convocation to tell the world and tell I must the story of your great salvation. You could have sent angels from above. Uh, and placed on them the responsibility. But in your condescending love on us, men and women, you have conferred the glory. Let us be faithful to that trust. Telling the world the story. Compelling them to trust Jesus Christ. And using us for your glory. In other words... Our founder, Dr. Simpson, saw that the responsibility that Jesus gave to his disciples in, one, in Acts 1.8, but you are to wait into Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit 
has come upon you, and then you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost part of the earth. As you do that, I will be with you and I will call men and women unto myself. That as you proclaim the news, there will be those who come to trust in Jesus Christ. As a result of the uh, scripture passage we read at the beginning this morning, uh, after that event, 5,000 were added to the number of those who believed uh, from the day of Pentecost. And however you do the math, I think they were added to the 3,000. That makes 8,000 uh, men and their families and wives and children. Uh, probably the church already within weeks of its beginning was uh, 25,000 or more strong. And Jesus promised that, that as we go and carry the message, that He would accompany us in the power of His Holy Spirit, and that we would see a great outpouring and a coming to Jesus Christ. But the question remains, why is that so important? Why is it so crucial that we carry this message to the ends of the world? Why risk our lives? Why go to countries where we're not wanted? Uh, why go to people groups that reject us and in some cases kill our ambassadors? Uh, why go to war-torn countries and risk our lives in the midst of conflict? We lost a number of martyrs uh, in Vietnam, a number of missionaries who became martyrs because uh, we refused to leave the work undone, and we persisted on staying in country, despite the fact that uh, tensions were uh, boiling over, and the North was making stronger inroads into South Vietnam. And in that conflict, we lost a number of our missionaries. Why stay? Uh, why uh, go in places of Africa that were dark and uncharted? Why go into the interior, the Balim Valley of Indonesia? Why take these risks? It's a legitimate question. Jesus, as he was speaking to Nicodemus, that Pharisee who came to him at night in John chapter 3, uh, explained it like this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. In fact, in the original language of the text, it says with the emphasis on so loved God the world. The emphasis is placed on God's love and its intensity. That God loved the world so much that He gave His only begotten Son. And the scripture says that until we come to Jesus Christ, all of us are enemies of God. Uh, we are uh, under the powers of darkness. We are living in darkness. We are living for ourselves. And we need, uh, first of all, the Holy Spirit to open our eyes so that we can see. And so it is important for us uh, to recognize that we ourselves, oh, maybe we didn't uh, consider killing preachers, 
uh, or I don't know, maybe you have considered that on occasion. <laughs> but um, maybe that was not the uppermost thing in our mind in our society. But the reality is that all of us were enemies of God. And even today you find great resistance to the gospel. In fact, it's growing resistance in our nation today. We're finding that as we become more and more a secular country, that we are losing ground as a a ministry of um, bringing light and salt into this nation. In some ways, it feels like our time has passed. And we need to pray that God will give us a great revival. Uh, Because while there are some uh, 50 or 60 percent or more of the population that profess to be Christians in this nation, it's more like, well, of course I'm a Christian. I was born in America. That makes me a Christian. And that is not at all the case. Because when you fine-tune the surveys... And you begin to ask questions like, do you believe Jesus is the Son of God? Do you believe He is divine? Do you believe the Scriptures or the Word of God? When you begin to narrow it down to the historic fundamentals of the Christian faith, that number shrinks to between 5 and 7%. This nation is largely post-Christian. And we are living in a culture that is increasingly resistant to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We may not be as hostile openly in terms of physical confrontation as some other places in the world. But the reality is, is there is a greater openness in some places of the world that have greater risk than there are here. Because people have hardened their heart. And yet the scripture says, God so loved the world. The first motivation that we have for reaching people with the message of Jesus Christ is that God loves them. And he has to give us a love for them. One of our pastors in this district is from a country in North Africa. And in his experience growing up, the uh, a group of uh, Muslims came into his uh, village and they slaughtered people right and left with machetes and shot them and murdered them. And they made he and his brother watch while they murdered their parents. And then they took them captive as child soldiers uh, to make of them soldiers in this uh, Muslim army. Eventually, he was able to escape, and eventually, through a sequence of events that I don't have time to repeat for you this morning, he made his way to the United States and was able to get uh, a degree uh, in... uh, you know, in college and ultimately to earn a degree in um, pastoral ministry because he had come to know Jesus Christ along the way. But he still had a problem. He hated Muslims. He hated them with a passion. 
All he could see when he looked at a Muslim was the slaughter of his village, the slaughter and murder of his parents, the, the, the terrible things that they put him through. And uh, he knew that he had a problem uh, before God with this animosity that he had in his heart. And uh, one day, as I recall the story, I could be wrong, but uh, I think it was a taxi driver uh, that um, he encountered down in Chicago. And this taxi driver, uh, you know, uh, they somehow they got to talking. And, and uh, the taxi driver was a Muslim. And here is this young Christian pastor just ready to go into uh, ministry. And he said, you know, I have a problem with you. I, I, I just, in my heart, I just hate Muslims. And the person said, well, why do you, why do you hate us so? And he told him the story of, of when he was 12 years old, how his village was slaughtered, and how he was uh, forced to watch his parents murdered before his eyes. And to his surprise, the, the gentleman with whom he was speaking began to weep. And he said, I am so sorry that you had to go through what you had to go through. I am so sad that you have suffered like this. And I want you to know that, that my heart is not like that. And through that interaction, there was a melting and there was forgiveness and there was an ability to let go of that evil of the past. Because he realized that if he were going to be a servant of Jesus Christ, he had to love Muslims the way God loves them. He had to love Buddhists the way God loves them. He had to love Hindus the way God loves them. He had to have love for all people because God loves the world. It's not just Christians that God loves. Because if that were the case, we didn't start out with any. <laughs> there weren't any. But He so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. And friends, I want us to recognize this morning that the motivation for God to send His only Son, Jesus Christ, to come to this earth and die on the cross of Calvary was to save us who are lost in sin. Jesus prayed in the Garden of Eden, uh, Garden of Eden, Garden of Gethsemane, a little anachronism there, uh, Garden of Gethsemane, uh, Jesus prayed, Lord, if there's any way, Father, if there's any way, let this cup pass. But there was no other way. There was no other way for lost people to have their sins forgiven and to have uh, uh, an opportunity to be uh, restored to fellowship with God unless He paid the price for our sin upon the cross. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through Him. He who believes in Him is not judged. 
He who does not believe has already been judged because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Many times the way we share the gospel implies that the judgment comes on those who don't receive Jesus Christ. And so we, we get it a little out of kilter in the way we communicate the message by implying, in essence, that God is a bigot. That He only likes those who like Jesus. And He doesn't like anybody else. And you have to trust Jesus in order to be liked and loved of God. But the reality of the fact is that Jesus Christ is the only way out of the morass of our sin. We're judged already. Oftentimes, when we interview uh, young men and women today who are going into ministry and missionary service, pastoral and missionary service, we ask them, do you uh, believe that a person who has... uh, not heard the gospel message of Jesus Christ is lost. And sometimes they flounder around and they're uh, at a loss to come up with a good explanation and they hem and haw and we, we try to take that moment as a teaching moment uh, to help them understand the reality. You know, a number of years ago there was a vaccine discovered for polio and uh, there was a polio epidemic uh, at the time. And the vaccine, once people received it, essentially inoculated them against uh, contracting polio. And so as a result, we have seen, in essence, the eradication of polio in our nation uh, because an effective vaccine was developed. Um, Other things, there have been dramatic cures. Uh, People used to die of uh, pulmonary infections and respiratory infections that they would uh, get uh, that cold season of the year, uh, that time when colds turn into bronchitis, turn into pneumonia, and people would die of that. And then penicillin was discovered and developed. And as a consequence, uh, when people would become ill with these bacterial diseases, they would be able to receive an injection of penicillin originally. And it would just knock it out. It was amazing how effective that drug was. Truly one of the modern miracles. And Sometimes we need to use helpful analogies to recognize what's going on in the spiritual realm. When Adam and Eve sinned and rebelled against God, it was their whole person that fell. Their body became susceptible to disease. Their soul became corrupted with a self-centeredness that had never been known before. And their human spirit had uh, darkened because the Holy Spirit vacated their lives and they became dark. And as a consequence, God had given them the, uh, the ability to procreate, to produce 
uh, offspring after their own kind. And as a result of that, their children were born with the infection of sin. David said, in sin my mother conceived me and in iniquity, and in sin I was born. He wasn't talking about the sexual act. He was talking about the reality that sin was transmitted to him from his heritage, as it is to every single person. And all of us have been born with the infection. Uh, just like a children, if a parent, if a mother has an infectious disease, like, for example, HIV, that is often communicated to the child in the birthing process. And so as a consequence, every person on earth has been infected with the disease of sin. We are sinners from birth and we are sinners by choice because as the disease begins to manifest itself in symptomology, it shows up like, I'm going to do it my way, no matter what. All you have to do is look at a little child to see that uh, begin to emerge. You, you just have to be a parent or observant and you can figure that out pretty quickly. It rises up very early in life. And the symptomology only grows more and more. God looked down upon this human race that was infected with sin and manifesting all the symptomology of, of the sin effects and said, I love them. I love them. And I want to redeem them. I want to, to heal them. I want to cure them. And the only way that he could do that was, first of all, by sending someone to offer a blood sacrifice from a perfect human being that would cover and forgive and cleanse us from our sin. That person was Jesus Christ. And by cleansing us, it enabled him to put back within us the Holy Spirit, who would begin to exert his influence to change us and transform us from self-centered people to Christ-centered people who love one another. And that was the cure. Friends, you cannot take the vaccine for polio and administer it to a smallpox outbreak. It won't work. You, you cannot take uh, penicillin and go and give it to people who have HIV and kill a virus. It's the wrong cure. And the thing that we need to recognize as followers of Jesus Christ is the only cure for the sin problem is Jesus Christ. The only cure for the broken relationship with the Father is His only Son, Jesus Christ. And so that's why Peter says in Acts uh, chapter 4, verse 12, and there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 3, beginning in verse uh, 10, 
There is none righteous, not even one. There's none who understands God. There's none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they've become useless. There's none who does good. There's not even one. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of asp is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their path. And the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. This is a description of people apart from Jesus Christ. And friends, we need to recognize this morning that Jesus is the only antibiotic, He is the only vaccine, He is the only cure for the sin problem. Muhammad and the teachings of Islam cannot ever cleanse from sin. Following the writings and teachings of Buddha cannot ever make one acceptable to God. Following the 3,000 plus gods of Hinduism and giving them homage cannot bring us into relationship with the one true God. There is no religion and no absence of religion. There is no humanism. There is no uh, well-intentioned, um, goodly, godly kind of living, if you can call it that. It really isn't. But uh, people who try to be good. And you ask them, if you were to stand before God and He were to say to you, why should I allow you into heaven? Their answer would be, because I've done the best I could. I've been a good person. I've given to the poor. Uh, I've tried to help people out. I've been a good neighbor. I've followed the golden rule. I've, I've done everything I could possibly do. One young man came to Jesus one day with that very answer. He said, Master, what must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus said, keep the commandments. And this young man rather naively said, well, I've kept all the commandments from my youth. I haven't broken any of them. And Jesus said, well, there's only one thing that you lack then. Go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And come in poverty and destitution and follow me. And the young man walked away sorrowfully. You see, his problem was he was covetous. He did not realize he had broken the commandment, thou shalt not covet. But he had, and it had infected his life. When Jesus says at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, you are therefore to be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect, He sets the standard of the requirement for a relationship with God. You must not, from the moment of your birth, have ever sinned even once in your mind, in your heart, or in your behavior. No wrong thought, no wrong motive, 
No selfish desire, no misbehavior from the moment you're born until the moment you die, you must be perfect. That's the standard. Anyone here have kept the standard? I didn't think so. None of us have kept it. That's why Paul says there's none righteous, no, not one. There's none who really, truly seeks for God. If we're looking for God, it's because He's already tapped us on the shoulder and made us aware of His love for us. He's already become invested in our lives. Friends, we all have the infection. We've all got the disease. Some people, it erupts in far more symptomology than we see in others. But there is no human being that has escaped the infection of sin. And Jesus is the only antibiotic that will cure it. He is the only vaccine that will stop the spread. He is the only one who will give us deliverance. For there is salvation in no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved except the name of Jesus. Are we pluralist? Not on your life. Because if we, with gracious deference, accept all comers and whatever religion they profess as valid, we contribute to their eternal demise. What would you do if you saw your neighbor's house on fire and you ran across the street because you didn't see them outside and you found the whole family clustered on the second floor and standing there in the window and you could see the flames beginning to engulf the structure and you screamed at them to to jump for safety. You'd go get a ladder and they said to you, we don't believe the flames are going to hurt us. Uh, we, we have a, a, a solid religion that says fire will never hurt us. Uh, we will escape these flames. In fact, the house can burn down around us and we need not fear. Uh, we're safe. What would you do? How would you react? Would you not uh, scream at them with all the energy you had that, that they were foolish? That they needed to to get out of there? That they needed to jump for safety? Would you not get the ladder and try to rescue them? Would you not be compelled to do everything you could to overcome their, their foolish, wrong beliefs in order to get them out of the flames that were about to destroy their lives? I would. I could not sit by and watch my neighbors burn alive. I would have to do something. And yet all around us, people are dying in the darkness and headed for the flames because they do not know Jesus Christ. And we rub shoulders with them And we kind of say, well, whatever you think is all right, you know, you can have your beliefs, I'll have mine. I'm not saying that we should not be sensitive or loving. 
I'm not saying that we should not reach out to them in kindness and sensitivity. You're not going to win anybody by beating them over the head. But is there an urgency in your heart with the awareness that they are dying without Christ and going to a Christless eternity? Friends, there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved than the name of Jesus. They must hear His name. And God loves them and wants to save them. It's very clear as he expresses himself through Paul in his letter to Timothy. God is not willing or desiring that any perish. But that all come to a knowledge of the truth. That's not going to happen. Jesus said very plainly, Narrow is the gate, straight is the path that leads to life eternal, and only a few find it. Whereas broad is the path and wide is the gate that leads to destruction, and many people are headed down that direction. But nonetheless, God's love remains unchanged. He desires everyone to hear. He wants everyone to know. The person in Indonesia, Africa, the person in the Arab lands, the person in the Muslim world, the person in China, the person in Africa and and, uh, wherever they are that bows to gods of wood and stone, that bows to ideology and philosophies not biblical in their foundation, Those who have supposedly risen above the need for religion as the opiate of the people and find themselves to believe they're enlightened and they need no God whatsoever because they have found their truth in humanism. Friends, they're all lost. Without Jesus Christ, they're dying. They're going to a Christless eternity. They will spend that eternity in a real place called hell. And there will never be a pardon beyond death as it is appointed unto man once to die. And after that, the judgment. And there is no opportunity to come back to God once we have passed the bar of death. We must reach them. We must tell them the truth. Paul says, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made Him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we are preaching. This is from Romans 10. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses resulting in salvation. For the Scripture says... 
Whoever believes in Him will not be disappointed. For there's no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call upon Him. For whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on Him whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in Him of whom they have never heard? Because God's requirements do not change. To have the disease is to have the disease. We don't get the infection because someone brings Jesus. We are born with the infection. We need the cure. Or we're going to die in our sin. We need the cure. How will they believe in Him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? And and how uh, will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. Friends, our motive for carrying the good news of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth, to dangerous places, to places where we're not wanted, to places where we have to go uh, in disguise, as it were, and legitimately practice as English teachers or engineers or uh, whatever else uh, we can do that will genuinely benefit. It can't be a facade. We've got to perform the task, microeconomics and small business. We have to go. But we go with a single-minded purpose of bringing the light of Jesus Christ in our person to that area and region because unless they are sent, they will never hear. We are compelled by the love of God and the desperate need of sin-infected people to carry the cure of Jesus Christ to every unreached person. And the scripture says, when that great company of redeemed is gathered at the throne of God, there will be representatives from every tribe and every tongue and every nation, every culture and every color, every background and every former belief. There will be a beautiful um, pageantry of color and brilliance and glory in all the peoples of the earth that will stand before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords as the bridegroom and the bride. And unless we go to every people group and every language group and bring the message of Jesus, that vision will not be fulfilled. But Jesus said, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the earth and to every peoples of the world, and then the end shall come. One of the great compelling factors of the missionary movement called the Christian and Missionary Alliance is to win the world to Christ and bring back the King 
He is our coming king. And we have the antidote. We have the cure. We have Jesus. Let us carry it to our neighbor. Let us carry it to our workplace. Let us send our youth around the world. Let us go ourselves. Let us carry Jesus wherever He needs to be known. See the people around you in a different way. See them as those who stand in that upper story window with the flames growing closer. They're dying without Christ. We must be kind. We must be gracious. We must be sensitive. We must be respectful. But we must be burdened with an urgency that prays and looks for every opportunity to share the message of Jesus Christ. Because without Him, people will perish forever. Father, open our eyes to see and our ears to hear Your call. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. And I pray, Father, that if there's anyone here this morning who has not made that decision, Lord, they need to see the other side of that vision. They are the ones standing in the window with the flames coming closer. They don't know how much time they have. We are not promised tomorrow. We're not even promised the rest of the day. We live in a toxic world that's sin-infested, and death can come at any moment. And I pray in Jesus' name that they would make that decision in their heart right now to trust Jesus Christ, to seek Him for the forgiveness of sin, for the cleansing of His blood, and for reconciliation to You, O God our Father. In Jesus' name, amen.